Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Hi, I'm Mark Kate. Welcome to episode 38 of Why We Listen. In this podcast, I meet with my guests to listen to and talk about music. I ask them to choose three pieces of music in advance, using whatever criteria they like, and we listen to those songs and we talk. In this episode, I meet with Antonia Crane at my studio in San Francisco. Antonia is a writer, professor, and performer in Los Angeles. We listen to Cherie by Suicide, Golden Years by David Bowie, the Eric J. Lawrence KCRW remix, and Hello by Babes in Toyland. And we talk about pole dancing and San Francisco decadence and 90s kinder horror. Right now in the background, we're listening to Some Velvet Morning by Lee Hazelwood and Nancy Sinatra. Hey, Why We Listen non-subscribers, what's up? Nice to have you along today. Consider subscribing and we can take this journey even further together. You can do so on iTunes and Stitcher and you can do so like right now. So it's been two weeks since the massacre in Florida, and I think I'm still reeling from the news. Um, Celebrating Pride in San Francisco over the last weekend has made a difference for sure. Uh, However, part of this Pride weekend for me included throwing a bunch of straight dudes out of the dyke party uh, that I was working that they were trying to ruin. And then uh, I had to call the cops when they escalated things, and if you... If you know me and you know how much I don't love cops, that was a hard line for me to cross. Uh, Anyway, if you follow Why We Listen, you hear me often refer to queer space, usually just in passing, gay bars, drag shows, pride events. It even comes up in this episode with Antonia, which was recorded pre-Orlando. I don't know what my life would be like without LGBT clubs. I don't know what the world would be like without... LGBTQQI spaces for love and art and safety and sex and culture and family. And I don't know what to think right now because it's the same as it ever was, right? But it feels different somehow. Uh, And I, I don't know what to say because everyone is already saying everything really loudly with their own subjective outrage or defensiveness or arrogance or hate. And I don't know that contributing my opinion to this noise is worth anything, but I think it's worth saying that even in this little podcast where I blah, 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 you know, with friends and strangers about music, even it wouldn't be what it is without queer nightclubs. I don't know. I just, um, I just hope we can figure out the right combination of love and anger that moves this world forward. Uh, And... Okay, so moving forward with this podcast, I want to make this the last episode of Why We Listen, where I talk about the cost of living in either the intro or the interview, at least for a while, but I can't. The next few episodes after this one are already recorded, and it comes up again and again. So after that, if I can help it, there will be a moratorium on complaining about rent and space and real estate. But let me put a little frame around why it keeps coming up. Why, in a podcast called Why We Listen, does voicing sorrow and outrage about city leaving keep happening? While this podcast is about art and music, I think economics and real estate are increasingly a vital part of the conversation about art and music. 
more than at any other time in my life, uh, economic disparity and gentrification and displacement, they're all tangled up with art and music production everywhere. So while we have these conversations about how the internet is fundamentally changing how music is made and distributed, the conversations about how the economies around music have been upended is maybe less sexy, but no less important in talking about how music is and isn't being made and experienced. Nearly everyone in the developed and developing world is confronting how tech is changing their relationship to work and culture, including artists, right? Meanwhile, something equally real for artists right now is the question, where the fuck am I going to live? That's a very real question for everyone right now as economic disparity increases and fewer people own more of the real estate. But I don't remember this question being so attached to creative identity until recently. So anyway, I'll try uh, and make this episode the last time I talk about it, but I can't because it comes up in the next two as well. I mean, I think it's fascinating and an important conversation to have, but I don't want to be repeating myself so much. And I'm, I'm even finding that the conversations I have about my neighborhood changing is like being replaced by conversations about how conversations about my neighborhood changing is getting boring, if you could follow that. I mean, it, it, it's kind of like talking about the weather, and yet, how can we not talk about the weather? Anyway, let's get to it. Here's Antonia Crane. Good morning. Good morning. I got you up early. Yeah, this is not my normal uptime. What time do you usually get up? Well, I'd like 10 you at do. the worst. Stripper yeah. hours. Well, I work in a bar. Oh, you work in a bar. That makes sense. And, yeah. and um, my wife is a performer. Yeah, so you guys are up late. late. Yeah, yeah. It just... Just, just how it happens. Yeah. There's nothing going on at 6 a.m. anyway. <laughs> nothing good. <laughs> Except sunshine and laughing children. Right, right, right. Well, I woke up on the dark side. I think it was because I'm staying at my ex's house, um, my ex-girlfriend, and she was like, oh, do you want to watch the last hour of the Oscars? And I was like, yeah, totally, because I was working. <laughs> um, because she wanted me to watch Lady Gaga perform the rape song. And I watched it. And I was like, oh, no, not Gaga, too. And I think I, so I went to bed, like, with murder on my mind or something. And I woke up from a bad dream at, like, 6.15. And then I went back to sleep and had another bad dream. So I say that to say my songs are, are a tad dark. Great. So. <laughs> I'm very comfortable in that space. <laughs> you live in darkness. Uh, thank you. Yeah. I'm glad you noticed. Um. <laughs> What are you doing in San Francisco right now? Oh, I am... You're from L.A. I live in L.A. I lived here for 11 years. Yeah. I'm actually from Northern California originally. Where? Uh, Humboldt. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, where all the weed's from. Mm-hmm. Born and raised. And I kept migrating south, south, south. I'm here because I wrote a screenplay with Silas Howard, who's a director and my co-writer. We wrote uh, a feature film based on the Exotic Dancers Union, of which I was a part. And it's called The Lusty. And we won a grant through the San Francisco Film Society. Congrats. Which is amazing. I mean, just to like be able to work and eat at the same time is amazing. Like not hustling and sweating every second about money is, it's a crazy, it's a wild gift. That's great. So I'm here to write my screenplay. And of course, I have a million other things going on, deadlines that are dogs barking at the door. But I kind of put everybody off for a few days so that I could really dig into the screenplay. So that's what I'm doing here. And I'm eating amazing food and I'm going to cute hipster places like the bowling place and the Mission Mission Bowling. Bowling? The bowling alley that's redone. 
Not urban, not the, not the putt-putt place. Bowling. I don't think so. This is a bowling alley that's antique, but it's redone. I think it's on 24th in South Venice. And it has amazing food. What? And like hipster supermodels work there. And it's adorable. So I'm enjoying all the snobby food That's four food blocks here. from my house, and I have no idea what That's you're talking crazy. about. That's crazy. We had so much fun. We were like going nuts, like doing um, victory dances that involved the splits and cartwheels in the bowling alley. It was ridiculous. That's great. Yeah. It was What's, off the chain. So what are you feeling? I mean, it seems like maybe you and I arrived in San Francisco around the same time in the early 90s. Yes, sir. So 92? Were you here in 92? 92. That's when I got here. Yeah. Um, Interesting. And so what do you... Did we do the same drugs? <laughs> I didn't do... I did not touch drugs <laughs> until the late 90s. Oh like my I, gosh, ever. late bloomer. Very. And then I tried to catch up and then... And you know how that then works. I stopped. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... Um, what do you think of when you come back and look at what's become of this city? And I'm sure you're very dialed into all your, I, I assume that we have a lot of the same types of friends who are yeah. out, who are here and outraged. And, and sure. but what, what do you think of what's happened to here? And I mean, it's happening in LA too, but. You can like taste the money in the air. Mm. And I was here during the first dot com and I was in the service industry. So this is nothing new for me. It just looks a little different. The stores are a little different. Buy rights a little fancier. The cheese is more expensive. There's candy and cupcakes everywhere. It's just like, it's a decadence. San Francisco does decadence really well. And it always has. And as much as you want to hate on hipsters, they have cute ideas. For instance, <clears throat> isn't there that movie theater where you get great food? Alamo something? Alamo Draft House. That was one block from where we had coffee earlier yeah so there's that place there's the bowling alley which i just described earlier which yeah. is adorable yeah. and just it's san francisco decadence and you can just you can literally feel the money crackling in the air that google money and i have nothing against it i don't live here so i'm not fighting with my landlord every right. second about exorbitant rent right and you're not living here as an artist, which is... No, I'm visiting as an artist, yeah. which is ideal. Which is rad, I'm sure. Because I can come and spend a bunch of money and eat some fine food and then go back to L.A. and live in my cave and write. Yeah. And pay $700 a month. Sorry. <laughs> but, you know, it's changing there, too. Sure. Um, All major cities are. I feel like every city I go to... Yeah. L.A. is a slum city. The, as well. I yeah. mean, they're flipping houses like crazy. And it's the development thing is a nightmare. If you listen to NPR just about development in general, you'll hear some really interesting stories about what's going on and mm. the crisis in development and the um, just the sleaziness around development. Yeah. Will blow your mind. Uh. But I don't know. I mean, I think. Um, what do you think about it? More importantly, I don't I don't I'm not here. I don't have to live with it on the daily. Oh, I don't know. I I don't like it. I mean, it, I mean, it's really easy to complain about. I think that if I, um, I, the reason why I asked you about, you know, leaving and coming back is because uh, I think those of us who are, are here and have watched it change, um, you know, it's very disappointing because I think we all have something invested in this place as a city. Absolutely. Um, and it's, it's gone, it's going slash gone. But if I just arrived and didn't have that sort of investment in one, mm -hmm. 
what I came here to do in the first place, which doesn't exist, or to some mm. sort of like a longevity thing where like, it's my city, I, I own this place and it's being taken over. If mm -hmm. I didn't have that, if I just got here, I'd probably be into it other than the rent. Right. Um, the streets are generally filled with pretty boring people. And I mean, mm -hmm. boring people have to live somewhere, but yeah. I'm just not sure why they all collectively chose San Francisco of all places. Find to, out. Um, I, it's a mystery. Well, Starts. no, it's, I, it's, well, it's... It's like they come here because they want culture and then they steal the culture. Yes. And, you know, so speaking, like, speaking as a musician, it's really tough and weird. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I work in a club where mm -hmm. um, they, capital T, they, the tech, mm -hmm. tech dudes, um, they'll walk in the door and you'll go like, hey guys, $5 cover. And they'll just be like, what? And walk away and then go spend $50 on cocktails up the street. Yeah. It's really bizarre. Like it's they douchey. won't they won't spend money on culture. They'll just spend money on consumables. It's douchey. Yeah. The vibe. Wah, wah. Anyway. Well, I really, you know, and I know this is maybe relentlessly optimistic, but I do Please. feel <laughs> I feel like this is a revolutionary city. It always has been since Woodstock days. It always will be, and you have to fight. You have to fight and you have to be the last man standing, last woman standing, last trans standing. You have to just be the last person standing and you have to like create culture and make them come to you and just don't compromise. And it's also like the one thing about the city too, which is unlike LA, LA can be botulism for the soul, is that you can grow old here and not be shot on sight. Mm. You can grow old here. Like I went to a, um, a party for New Year's Eve. I was here doing grant stuff for New Year's. And, you know, it was a room full of goth people and they were all north of 40. And I was just like, wow, you can grow old here and not be killed in LA. You just like, you disappear and you shrink and mm. you're just, you're, you don't exist aesthetically. Right. So that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. So let's move on to a different kind of dark subject. Great. Your choices of music. Oh, come play with me 
first hear that uh I who, first who introduced that. you to this woman ashley who crashed my motorcycle because she wore a wool scarf and it got caught in my engine and tore it up she gave me the double cd of suicide the first two albums the first two albums yeah. and it was um in i want to say 98 99 and um yeah i was i was giving her a ride home on my honda 1971 554 and it just stalled out, and her wool scarf had got caught in my engine. And I was, thought I was going to have to let that motorcycle go, and I was so heartbroken. But she actually paid to have the engine rebuilt. Well, what happened to her? I'm sorry. She became a pilot and moved <laughs> no, to I mean, Napa. <laughs> no, what happened to her neck? Oh, she was. <laughs> she lived. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> my poor motorcycle. <laughs> I know. But that's when I was introduced to it. And I danced to it in the clubs here, there, everywhere. And it's just a beautiful song. I can actually f- see my legs floating in the air to that song. And I can see love happening. The heartbeats and the and the tink the the bells remind me of memory and you know, it's memory and it's love. And at the end it's like two hearts dying together. But and when I also hear it, I just see myself on the pole with my legs flying in the air and spinning when it gets really dramatic. How? What do in, you think about that song? Oh, I love it. I mean, I'm, I'm a, I'm a huge fan, and um, actually shared a bill with them. I played a show wow. with them once, amazing. and they were they they were amazing on stage. They were super nice. Um, yeah, I'm, I I find suicide. There's a certain depth that you can continue to unpack. Like there's not much happening. Like that song. There's like organ bells and two drum machines and voice. Yeah, and none of them are doing that much. But together, yeah. they're all just sort of like undulating off of each other where yeah. you can really fall in. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I find that's true of most of, most of their early music. Um, and it's you know, very it's, simple and really deep. 
totally love your description. Um, and as a writer, what's fascinating, because I never get sick of this song and I always love it and it always gives me chills every single time. Um, there's not a lot of words. There's no, there's no lyrics. It's just, I love you. You're my fantasy. You're my black leather woman or my back black leather lady. I love you. I love you. I love you. And it's just like, there's hardly any words. So as a writer, I'm just kind of fascinated with my obsession. And I think that, like you said, there's that visceral depth and it's just this texture that's crackling throughout the song. And I try to do that with my writing, you know, Economy. but there's so little, yeah, there's so little dialogue. It's like fucking, it's like the carver of songs. The carver? Raymond Carver. Oh, Raymond Carver. Oh, he's so pulled back. He's mm. just so, the economy, him and Joan Didion are just like, they're so, just scrape the patina off right. any flowery language. And I'm reading the White Album right now. It's, which one? Uh, Didion's The White Album. Oh, I love that collection. Oh. <laughs> Isn't it the best? It's so good. Should I play another one? Let's get to it. Okay. I think you're going to appreciate this as well. Yeah. 
Was that <laughs> so i first uh bowie was the first concert that i went to in 1989 oh rad and uh, with my own money and i drove a car to the tacoma dome from humboldt and met my best friend in high school and we saw the let's dance um the let's dance the entire album but he did everything he did the weird stuff he did love you till tuesday he did laughing gnome this is the weird, weird, weird old stuff. He's yeah. so generous. He's such a generous performer. Yeah. And so I've just kind of been playing with um, remixes lately and just playing with it and dancing to it, pole dancing to it. And I just, this one just was fun to me. It was haunting. There's, I love the whistling. I'm a sucker for the whistling. Yeah. It's a little busy, but I just think it's kind of surprising and fun. Um. And I've been dancing to like Ashes to Ashes and China Girl for so long that it's just kind of fun to play with these remixes post-death. And it's very, this one's a little bit haunting to me. And so I was attracted to it. So I spend a lot of time going to drag shows. And so I'm, I'm often very, you know, interested in song selection behind drag. Mm. And But I'm very curious with dancing in clubs. What do you find are like general mm. rules for choosing music and your own personal like what rules you choose by great question uh it's very much a mood thing and it's very much a as a as an adult performer our job is to create the party in the room so if there's very few people in the room i do whatever the hell i want i dance to patty smith i dance to l7 i dance to old courtney love her version of gold dust woman I think there's a season of The Witch that she does that's really crazy. I just dance to Diamante Galas, like oh, weird. Jesus. Baby's insane. <laughs> I just do whatever I want. And my rules are that um, I like a dramatic crescendo so that I can climb the pole and do my swinging helicopter upside down stuff that's really dramatic looking. Um, and I slide down the pole and I do this thing where I'm totally parallel. Like my body is completely parallel. To the no floor. hands. Perpendicular yeah. to the pole. Perpendicular to the, to the pole. Floor. Parallel. Yeah. I'm in the air and I'm suspended for a long time. And then I take the pole and I, sw I swing around and I fall down. Um, but I do really dramatic things. So I look for that in my songs. That remix of Golden Years. That's not my super favorite Bowie song, but I just loved the remix because there's so much opportunity to slide, to drop and climb. And there's so many dramatic places where a woman's swinging in the air to that whistling and that haunting is really beautiful. So it's all about the drama for me. It's timing. Timing is everything. I do this um, spinning thing where I grab the pole and I'm just circling around it, circling around it, circling around it. So I like that beating is a really nice place to do that. Hmm. That do, do, do is a really great place to, to do a spinning maneuver. And then flying maneuvers can happen um, when it gets really dramatic. So what do you think are good rules? Isn't for that funny that nothing sexual has come up here and I'm a stripper like, oh, yeah. And then I take my top off like I don't care. <laughs> it gets off at certain points, but that's not my interest. Well, it sounds like by your description, you do pole work. And that's so 
I guess that's, if you're going to describe your work, it's about that yeah. focus. Yeah. Yeah. It's a more acrobatic yeah. than burlesque, I would say. Right. It's strength and acrobatic. <clears throat> right. I like to hold poses in weird positions, climbing and jumping and um, spinning, flying. How did, how did you come to that? The black girls at Market Street Cinema taught me everything I know. Did you work there? <laughs> yep, for years, from like 96 until 2000. So taught you everything you know, um, but also like in terms of like build a core, you know, like, like <laughs> about, really about, about, about physical, but it sounds like you're talking about doing a type of dancing that is very much about strength. It's very much about strength, but it's really more about um, losing fear. The pole is your dance partner, hmm. and you just have to trust the pole hmm. to catch you. Um, and so it's just you know learning to trust the pole as your dance partner. Really, you'll see girls, and they're not they don't necessarily have muscles. What they have is balance and trust. Okay. And they and um, coordination. So they know their bodies. They know how much they weigh. They know what they can do and what they can't do. And uh, and they know their way around a pole because they've been doing it for years. I learned the black girls at Market Street Cinema were just amazing athletes and they were amazing on the pole and they would just jump upside down and I would just watch them and watch them and study them, you know, for years. And, uh, and it was beautiful. It was actually a really beautiful time to be a, a performer in the nineties. The level of performance happening in the clubs was really amazing. Right on. Yeah. They were drag queens. I mean, they were, they're drag queens in their own right. Oh, Sure. I mean, women would come in looking full Tori Amos, like girls named Faith, like in a white, wispy thing, barefoot, and do something totally different than I would ever do. That's brilliant. Yeah. And then, like, I would come on in, t in black and dance to Suicide and Joy Division. Well, it yeah. seems the bridge is, is burlesque because so many burlesque performers perform in drag clubs. You know, oh, do they? Oh, yeah. Okay. There's a lot yeah. of there's a lot of crossover between burlesque and drag, mm -hmm. um, and it's yeah. definitely where a lot of uh, cisgendered women will find a place and it, like an introduction into drag clubs is by doing burlesque numbers. Yeah. And uh, it seems, at least in San Francisco, the climate is very open mm -hmm. to to that sort of crossover. There's not some yeah. sort of purism that that's not drag. It's right. like eh, whatever. It's it's a good performance, and there's a song. You know? Yeah, yeah. I need to go to more drag. You know, when the stud closed, I was heartbroken. You mean tranny shack stopped? I mean tranny shack. Yeah. Yeah, at the stud. Yeah. I know. Loved the tranny shack. I know. Well, Okay, so this is going to be a really different one. Yeah, go for you it. ready? Yeah. Okay. This is going to be more paired back, and I know you're going to know this one as well.
Could you feel the grit? Oh, yeah. Did you want her to spit on you? <laughs> kind of, right? This was a time, this was the first concert I went to when I moved to San Francisco in 91 or 92. And Babes in Toyland were playing at the Fillmore, and I just wanted to pee myself. I was like, oh, my fucking God. These hot bitches are talking about fucking and being vicious sluts, and I just loved them. And then later out of that, um, there's this gritty, slow grind, and it has a little bit of the Tanya Donnelly belly throwing muses, you know, the really early throwing muses, which I love, with just like kind of this slow, sad grind, and I love it. It's just like these rocker chicks were on lewds or something, just grinding it out, and it's really hot. Yeah. It's also interesting the the sort of disparity between the sort of like baby girl infantilized female voice against this like really heavy syrupy I mean it's not it's not macho or masculinist but it's not children's music it's not right. it's not baby girl music you know like like a right. lot of I I feel like at that time uh, a lot of um young women led bands in the independent in independent music mm-hmm. were sort of of two kinds some were kind of twee and some were like this like heavy and gnarly. heavy kinder horseshit yeah yeah which courtney love was birthed from mm. um and a lot of girls were doing that really heavy little bit gothy kinder whore tough you know i've never heard kinder horror oh yeah the kinder how did i horror. miss that what was, really that's yeah. what we called it the huh. kinder horror thing that we were doing in the 90s was just like the baby doll the barrettes yeah. and the slips like the inner wear is outer wear yeah. like it was very um you know i guess i would say madonna walked an entire generation of us girls off a cliff of teenage promiscuity and i think those were the girls that became 20 21 and, and had bands were you ever in a band? I was. What, what what band? Oh, you don't know my band? No. Dirtbox. No, I don't know about that. Yeah. That was San Francisco? San Francisco for eight years. Oh, no way. Um, and we were very, we were a little exy, a little Chrissy Hines compared to Chrissy Hines. We did like a lot of shows. It was, it's really fun to be in a band in San Francisco. Did you play it like the Kilowatt? And, we did. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Nostalgia. Yeah. Early Sorry. 90s. San Francisco. Kilowatt. Um, the Firehouse. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bottom of the Hill. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Fillmore. The um, Great American Music Hall. You got to play the Fillmore in the Great mm-hmm. American. That's awesome. Folsom Street. All the fun places. Right on. The place where we had Retarded Whore. What was that? I don't know that one. It was a club called Retarded Whore. It's a terrible name. I know. Um, but it was so much fun. South of Market somewhere, some silly club. Mm. All the bands played there. Yeah. So yeah, that was my, my attachment to that song was just like, oh my God, these are the girls singing yeah. the rock. Yeah. You know, and there's like a Patti Smith. Patti Smith was one of my songs. We don't have time for it, but I, I, Poppies was my song. And it, it just mm. has that really <clears throat> sonorous, almost underwater sex vibe that's gritty and hardcore and rough it's a little it's rough and it's slow and it's kind of against the faster kind of boy cock music that's just like fast and you know hitting really hard and hitting really fast it just like slows way down I mean what do you think what do I think of Babes in Toyland yeah they're great I mean I had I had this album oh yeah 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 yeah. 
totally. Um, and went to see a lot of, I never got to see Babes in Toyland, but a lot of the, the bands from that sort of circle of what was happening at the time. Yeah. Um, from Slater Candy Dale 7. Like, I right. went and saw a lot of those bands and tried eight. The Gits. Um, right. Never yeah. saw The Gits. I never saw The Gits either, yeah. but I was obsessed with them. Yeah. 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 There's... So that was kind of like part of that culture at that time. And I just thought you would dig that uh, reference. Oh, totally. To the 90s. Totally. Scene of chicks. <laughs> and who were making really fun, great music. Like Belly, mm-hmm. Tanya Donnelly, and then the Breeders and the Pixies. And I was all in, I was into all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to go back and listen to a lot of this stuff and think about how it's aged mm-hmm. and w- in what ways it's holding in and what ways it's a little bit dated. And, mm-hmm. and especially when it's, it's focused on a certain kind of anger. Um, mm-hmm. uh, not that, not that this song necessarily is, but a lot of, a lot of those bands are mm-hmm. definitely coming from. Uh, a place aggression. of anger yeah. and aggression. Yeah. Um, how aggression dates itself. Oh, that's um, interesting. It's an interesting yeah. concept. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm a total fan, of course. How do you think that uh, that song has aged? Do I you think, think it's aged well? Do you think it's a little I think it has. Com- compared to a lot, of, a lot of stuff from that time, I think there's something slightly... Um, timeless about the I don't want to say production because it's not very produced Mm -hmm. but it's it's pretty open and raw and unpretentious Mm -hmm. that I think helps it helps it staying power Mm -hmm. there's not so much in there that's that you can pin to its date other than the like baby girl voice with Mm -hmm. sludgy guitars totally that factor but every but almost everything about it is just sort of like rock and roll you know yeah it's rock and roll but the thing that those girls were doing at the time and i'm thinking of Kristen hirsch mm-hmm. and early throwing muses is their phrasing and what they were doing with language like her she's grammatically incorrect babes in toyland it just doesn't make a lot of sense oh, i never thought about that. um and i love it and that's what is really charming about it as well it's just like it's like what are you saying we can go out and disguise a tree or is it skies and trees like what are you saying and you can't really understand her very well, but it doesn't fucking matter because she's just like practically spitting the words on the pay- on in the in the air. Yeah. And it's and then Kristen Hirsch, her phrasing also doesn't make a lot of sense sometimes, but you don't care because it's so wildly other and right. so interesting, her phrasing. Yeah. That you're just like obsessed. They were making their own language. Yeah. So that's it. That's all I have. That's great. <laughs> I think we're good. Thank you okay, so much. Okay, good. Thank you so much. It was really fun. Good. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming. That went really deep. It was totally effortless. Oh, good. <laughs> Thanks, Antonia. Welcome to the footnotes, everybody. Go to AntoniaCrane.com. Uh, which I'll include in the show notes at whywelisten.org to find out more about her work. I welcome your comments. Please do come to whywelisten.org and drop me a note. And I can't stress enough, if we've introduced you to music that you want to hear more of, please buy it in the highest quality possible as directly from the artists as possible. And if you have a moment, if you're an iTunes subscriber, take a second to review and rate Why We Listen. Right now, in the background, we're listening to Saddle Tramp by Dickless, which is really short, so I better hurry up and finish this episode. I'm Mark Haight. This is why we listen. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>